Nothing discussed with Dr. Johnson in this conversation is meant to diagnose or treat any condition, or takes the place of talking with your own healthcare professionals. Well, aloha, everyone. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich from Kahimohawa. And a week ago, my colleague Trisha Kajimura and community leader Evan Young and I were talking about what we're experiencing, staying and working at home, watching the economy tank, watching tens of thousands of folks in Hawaii lose their jobs, and just how we're all learning to live very differently because of COVID-19. And we wondered how we would move through this seminal time. And we decided that maybe we'd like to run an experiment. And we wanted to explore what that would be like to walk the path from anxiety to clarity. So we thought we'd take a shot at doing a series of conversations, starting with this one. And we hope that this will be really helpful to you and that you'll let us know how this lands with you. And if you have questions, please send them in to me. I'll give you my email in a second. And we'll make sure that we get those questions for you answered. My email is B-A-Kozlovich. That's B-A-K-O-Z as in zebra, L-O-V as in Victor, I-C-H, at gmail.com. And we promise if you send us a question, we'll do our very best to get you an answer. So here we are today, and we're going to start our series of conversations with Dr. Martin Johnson, who is the founder of the Hawaii Center for Psychology. Martin and I have had some very rich conversation in the past, and I asked him if he would be willing to just have one now to, to help us deal with a lot of the anxiety that so many people are feeling because of the virus. There's so much fear surrounding it and how we might get some clarity on that. So Martin, thank you so much for making the time for this conversation. I'm really glad to see you and talk to you. It's nice to be talking to you again. Well, you know, here we are with a very changed life for all of us. I know you're doing a lot of telepsychiatry instead of sitting and talking to your patients face to face. A lot of us are now working from home for weeks on end, uh, being with family, learning how to cope in that situation with quarantines and with masks and with you know, stay-at-home orders and uh, curfews and, and living with, you know, again, the fear of the virus. So I'm wondering what it is that you are hearing from your patients when you're having conversations with them these days and what it is that you see in the greater community these days too. Sure. Well, um, first of all, I think there's a great wide variety of experiences that people are having right now. On one hand, we're all going through a similar thing at the same crisis, right, on a global scale, which is, you know, my, my wife hates the word unprecedented, but, you know, it, it truly is. I joined her um, in that. <laughs> I know, right? It's just tiresome, but, uh, but here we are. Um, so while we're going through a, a similar macro experience, uh, for some of us, you know, we're working harder than ever. Um, for the medical workers, they're, they're sort of in a very uh, stressful and, and uh, ramped up uh, scenario that's very unusual. Others are working from home, sort of working, kind of, you know, beginning their paycheck. And for a large number of our friends and neighbors, they're suddenly unemployed, right, and don't have prospects at the moment. So people are having all kinds of different experiences, and, and I want to make sure that it's okay for everyone to know that however they're coping with it is, is okay, right? 
Um, but I think another part of your question is, you know, what are we seeing? And I've seen several articles written by mental health professionals that are talking about what we're seeing sort of as a community is grief, right? There's a lot of loss, right? We've all lost whatever we were planning to do for the next several weeks, right? Um, we've all lost our sense of routine and certainty. Um, we've lost our, um, in many ways, we're confronting our sense of mortality, uh, you know, in a very literal sense for our loved ones, for ourselves. Um, and we're suddenly sort of thrown into this sort of open-ended situation with bad news coming in the media on a regular basis. So if you think about it in terms of grief, the first stage of grief is usually considered denial. And we've certainly seen some of that, the minimizing. It's just the flu, right? And, 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 and the denial, it's not necessarily malicious. It's just a psychological defense about, you know, to, to sort of not quite come to terms with what we're going to have to come to terms with. Um, another oh, yeah. stage is bargaining. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say to you that with the denial, that makes some real sense when you see people who are still trying to have conversations or still going to the beach or still doing right. things that were in their routine because they need something to hang on to that makes them That's feel right. normal in a exactly. very abnormal situation that will never again return to, at least for the foreseeable future, to that kind mm -hmm. of normalcy that they were so used to. Right. And so I don't think a lot of this stuff may be necessarily malicious, even though people look at them and shake their fingers and say, look at those idiots and whatever. But, you know, even people who are at the store not masking, there are several stores now that are saying you have to, and, and people very, you know, concerned about that. And those who aren't just trying to be who they were. So I, I really love the fact that we're starting with this issue of grief, because I don't think a lot of people have put it in that context, but that's why I called you <laughs> well, I think another thing that uh, many of us scratch our heads about can be sort of seen through the lens of grief, which is the hoarding, right? One of the stages of grief is bargaining. You know, if I turned left instead of right, I wouldn't have had that automobile accident. If I'd done this instead of that, maybe I could, you know, maybe whatever. It's this sort of this argument that goes on in our head. And hoarding can be seen as a, as a form of, of uh, bargaining because, you know, if I take all the toilet paper and fill my closet and I have a whole case of dinty more beef stew, at least I won't starve. At least I'll, right, it's, it's sort of a weird kind of bargaining to help ourselves feel better. At least I have this, at least I have this teddy bear to hold on to, right, in the face of this anxiety, right? Um, and then other stages very quickly are anger, and all you have to do is log on online and you'll see, unfortunately, way too much anger. I think it's okay to, to recognize that irritability may be part of it, and we just have to be kind to ourselves and especially each other, right? We're all just doing our best, right? And then, of course, sadness, right? And I think we've all had sadness. You ask me what I'm hearing from the people I work with, and, and my, my patients often are sort of alarmed that they're, they're tearful. I'm like, well, that's perfectly normal in this situation, right? There's things to grieve. There's things to be sad about. Um, and so, you know, allow yourself to have a good cry. And then after the good cry, you'll probably feel a little better. And then you can sort of go do a project or, you know, make dinner or sort of move on with your day. But it's really okay to have sadness. And all of that is part of the grief before we get to acceptance. And we can't really get to acceptance yet because we're not still sure what we're accepting, right? I mean, we're accepting something new every day. Right? And that's, I think that's part of the uncertainty as well. Because if this were a normal, I hate using that word, but if this were a disaster with which we were acquainted, we'd know that right. it had a beginning, a middle, and an end, and there would be some yeah. way 
of being able to judge that. But because this is a seminal moment in, in our history and we don't really know what this looks like, we're, we're learning as we're going. It's sort of, you know, pave a foot, walk a foot. Yes, we have some ideas of certain things, but a lot mm -hmm. of ideas we, we just are developing as we go. And that right. makes it very difficult to get to acceptance unless a person is very good at, at saying, this is the now and I'm accepting the now. And if there's a different now tomorrow, then I can accept right. that too, if I'm yes, exactly. of a mind to do that. But even people I know who are so strong and so stalwart, who have been through all kinds of things that you, know, you and I have, have never even experienced, are looking at this and saying, I just don't know what to do. I mean, I will tell you, even, even with myself, I don't want to look at magazines that look like life is normal, um, even when there are commercials that come on TV, and obviously they were produced when life was normal. But it's hard to look at that and hard to watch without putting that new lens on it and understanding that that was and this is and how we deal with now is really what we're trying to get some clarity about. And I, I really like the fact that we're starting with this idea of, of grief. So right. as we don't know how to make that sense of acceptance happen for a lot of people, what's that? Is there an interim stage that, that you are helping people to get to until we sort of know what we may be dealing with in the longer term? Well, I think there's two pieces to that. One is, uh, if we can think about it as acceptance of ourselves and our own situation in the moment, our own reactions. It's okay if we're a little irritable. Let's just try to not take it out completely on others. It, it's okay that we're sad. It's okay that at times we're in denial. Um, it's a time, you know, it's, it's just, you know, our behavior is our behavior, but our emotions are legit. And if we can be accepting of them, that'll help, right? And then the other part is things we can actually do to help ourselves feel better. Right? And I'd say the number one thing I would recommend is create a schedule. Now, for some of you, you know, some people are already on a very hyper schedule, right? They're, they're, they're healthcare workers, they're, they're um, uh, maintenance workers, they're, they're essential workers. Um, but for those of us who especially, you know, maybe not, not as structured as we used to be, right? I mean, I, I realized we were doing this uh, about 15 minutes before we came on and and I went, oh, I have to get ready. And I went in the other room, put a shirt on, and I was ready. You know, that's, that's it. Um, so, so, but many of us don't have a schedule. And so it, it would be an arbitrary schedule, but I recommend it. Open your Google Calendar, your Apple Calendar, whatever calendar you use, and put 11.45, I'm going to make tuna fish salad. Noon, I'm going to eat tuna fish salad for lunch, right? Uh, one o'clock, I'm going to watch reruns of Friends. Two o'clock, I'm going to call one of my friends. Um, you know, sort of put put together a schedule because the absence of structure creates more anxiety, right? And the absence of structure just leaves us alone in our thoughts, and it's very easy to click on the television or go online to the iPad or, you know, look at the latest news broadcast. And I have great respect, I think, you know, uh, for journalists in the, in the process of doing news. But right now, I think they're all in a sort of an enviable task um, that there's not a lot of news other than sort of, you know, the next step and the, and the numbers and how bad it was. And now let's go to a human interest story and see how really horrible it was for this person, right? Um, and so I, I don't begrudge them that, but I don't think we as consumers need to be listening to that for hours a day, right? Put yourself on a news diet, right? Check you in know, in the morning, said, check yeah. in the evening. 
We said this uh, after 9-11. I remember actively telling people, and they looked at me like I was nuts, like, what, you don't want us to tune in and, and listen to you? It's like, no, you need to do it judiciously because there's so much that your brain can handle with this, and you need to give it a break. I mean, just in general, our brains need a break. I mean, that's why we sleep. That's why we need rest. And, and this has also disrupted a lot of sleep for people who are so anxious. I, I'm hearing sure. from my friends. I'm even watching my husband get up in the middle of the night, pace around, uh, do some work, try to just live a 24-7 day. And mm-hmm. maybe that's a way of coping with it, too, when you're taking action as opposed to sitting there and stewing. Is it better to be doing that? Well, I think, you know, it's it's good to be active. It's good to also sort of do some self-care. You know, you mentioned the lack of sleep, and I think there's a lot of things we can do to help ourselves sleep better. Um, you know, one of my favorite research studies on sleep, they actually did this novel thing. They studied people who sleep well, right? <laughs> so often we study people who have problems, right? And, and what they found was the number one difference between people who sleep well and the rest of us is people who sleep well look forward to sleeping, which makes imminent sense. Cooks look forward to cooking, right? Singers look forward to singing. Good sleepers look forward to sleeping. But there are so many things we can do, and one of them is to structure, as I said, but also to get some form of exercise. And by exercise, I simply mean moving. Let's don't guilt ourselves about not being at the best fitness level of our lives. Let's just move, right? Let's walk around the block or let's, you know, march in place or let's put up a YouTube exercise video and put the yoga mat in the living room. Um, Whatever it takes to just move, even mild to moderate exercise will help alleviate some of our stress, will deepen our sleep, right, and improve mood, right? We just know this and it's, it's available. We can march in place during the commercials. You know, it's like that's enough to make a difference, right? The other thing about sleep is light right? Make sure you're sleeping in the dark, sleep at the same time, right? Every night and day, right? Try to go to bed at the same time, get up at the same time. Get morning light, right? It's a mood booster. It helps set sleep, right? The other thing is cold, right? We sleep better when it's cooler, so some, sometimes we have control over that, sometimes we don't. The other thing, though, that works really well is just at the end of your shower, right? Don't make it ice cold, Turn it to cool and refreshing, whatever that is for you, and try to stay in cool and refreshing for three to five minutes. Every pop song on Spotify is four minutes long, I promise you. You're a radio person, you know this, right? And so every Taylor Swift song ever written is four minutes long, I promise you. So whatever your musical taste, right, if you can rinse off in cool, refreshing, brisk water, right, it sort of stimulates your mood, it um, basically sort of uplifts your metabolism, and it'll help you sleep better, too. Right. So there's simple things we can do. Exercise, bright light in the morning, um, cool showers, right? And sleeping where it's cool and dark will all help our sleep. And if we help our sleep, it'll help us feel better. And and be able to better move through the stages of grief. Yes, and everything else we have to move through, sure. Because the more you know, if you think about it physically, right? If we're going to, you know, have an arduous task, we're gonna have to you know, run a race, or we're going to have to do something really physical that's strenuous. We'll want to be well-rested and well-fed. We'll want to be calm. We'll want to be uh, in a positive frame of mind as we engage in the task, right? It just makes sense. Well, the same is true for our emotional processing, right? For our emotional well-being and mental well-being, right? 
if we're up for something that's arduous, and this is, I, I, I love the jokes, and, and I'm of the generation where my parents did go off to World War II, right? They uprooted their lives in World War II, and now I'm being asked, called upon to uproot my life and stay home and sit on the couch, right? So I love that sort of twist of humor. I know my father's laughing somewhere, right? I appreciate that. Um, and at the same time, it is stressful, right? It is, we sort of, it, it, yeah. we almost don't have enough to do. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about, too, because one of the things that I know you and I have talked about before is how, you know, action very often will take the place of thought for a little while. I mean, it moves you into a different place, literally, sure. physically, yes. and, and, and spiritually, and psychologically, all of that. But because mm -hmm. so many people are rooted in their same four walls, doing a lot of the same things, routinized or not, that sense right. of, well, what do I do now? How many times am I going to clean the floor or, or make phone calls or, 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 right. and, and for a lot of people who once said, gee, I would love to be able to just stay home. Now I'm have, I'm hearing people say to me, but when people tell me I have to stay home, I don't want to. And this is making me certifiable at points. And I understand that too, because again, that mm -hmm. goes back to the idea of loss loss of agency, loss of freedom, loss of right. choice. Right. You raise a really good point. And I've been recommending to people that they choose a project that's a fun project, right? And and it can be something profound. You can write you can write the ultimate haiku, right? You've always wanted to write. Or, you know, it could be silly, it could be, you know, you can do a jigsaw puzzle, you can create a, you know, put together a classic model of the Starship Enterprise. I don't really care, but it's something you want to do, right? You can improve your conversational Japanese online, right? There's so many things you can do, but it's the criteria for it is just something you want to do. You can focus on it whenever you want to, right? And hopefully there's a beginning, middle, and an end, or there's some sense of progression. Because by creating that focus for yourself, you give your brain and your heart and your soul a break from the ambiguity and the uncertainty, right? It's like my little model of the enterprise is coming along now, right? I'm about to do the break. What, whatever, I can feel the progress of it, and I can sort of put myself in my own little world of something I care about, right? So, so now and that gives you enough oh, of a that you can sort of cope better with the ambiguity, yeah. I say now, now flip it to the other side where you have people who are working from home and they are putting in, in some cases, more hours than they would be normally because they feel that because they are at home, they have to be especially vigilant about doing work, more work, not wasting time, being accessible all the time because something happens. And it can happen so very quickly. And we're watching things evolve all the time with COVID-19 mm -hmm. and what we know and how things are, are being done with us, for us, about us, and what we're being asked to do and respond to respond to that. So what do you, what, what advice would you have for people who are trying to get some real clarity, but they're dealing with the anxiety of having to produce more, be more accessible constantly produce right well you know for the couch potato right the person who's like getting tired of playing video games right um i'd say have a very constructive project for the young professional who's working from home as hard as ever has young children under feet um, without child care um and is cooking and cleaning and doing all of the rest of that I, i'd still say have a project but 
but teach your child yoga, right? Have a contest with your, with your six-year-old and see who can breathe gently and quietly for the longest period of time, right? Um, in other words, have projects, but have projects that are sort of soothing and calming, right? Um, the other thing I'll mention, because you said this, this pressure to be productive, right, in this scenario, I have a lot of both graduate students and faculty in my practice, right? Um, I don't know why I fit well with eggheads. I don't know. It's, you know, it's sort of a, a, a Oh, I know hazardous. why. But that, they like you. <laughs> well, what I find is the graduate students are very stressed because they feel like this is a great time for them to finish writing their thesis proposal or, you know, getting this big project caught up or, or you know, doing all the reading that they're behind on. I mean, and they're having trouble focusing. They're having trouble concentrating. Mm. They're having trouble being productive at this at this moment, right? And they're very frustrated by that. Mm. And what I tell them is, I'm sitting with their faculty too, and I promise you, the faculty is sitting there going, "Oh, I can finally get this grant proposal finalized. Oh, I need to catch up on." And they're having trouble focusing. They're having trouble being productive. They're having anxiety is not a friend, right? To clear, quick thinking. Right, it sort of it sort of clogs up the RAM of the processor, right? So it's it sort of moves more slowly, right? And that's just part of it, right? So so set the bar low, celebrate what you got done, right? Everybody has a to-do list. Hardly anybody has a done list, right? At the end of the day, make your done list. If you got one thing done, celebrate it, right? Feel good about it. That that's good advice because so many of us have to constantly have producibles and sometimes getting bogged down <clears throat> excuse me getting bogged down in those producibles is tough especially if you have to work in concert with other people right sure and they're feeling the same things too and then how are you all being responsible to get this producible done right sure and, and the only thing I can say, you know, about that is it's real. It's real for all of us. And if we can be kind to ourselves first and kind to others right along with it, it, it makes it, you know, somehow it gets done, right? And what doesn't get done doesn't get done, right? I mean, and that's one thing we're learning in this environment, right, is many things we thought were essential or maybe not as essential as we thought. And some things that we took totally for granted are, are really kind of important. Do you think that's going to change how we go back to – regarding work or how we, we will regard work once the COVID-19 situation begins to morph more into what we would look at as, as some sort of normalcy or something that has some, you know, threads of normalcy in the way we mm -hmm. recognize it, that, that sure. somehow we're going to change the way, because so many people are working from home. So many organizations have told their people they need to be working from home and are finding ways to do that. I'm wondering what this might do to the whole nature of work once those offices are back open again, once those companies are welcoming people back and realizing that maybe there could be a better way than having everybody having their behinds in the seat at a certain hour to a certain hour every single day. Sure. Right. No, I, I think you're absolutely on with something there. I think you're right. And, and of course, the, the big question is, and what will that impact be, right? Um, and I, I don't claim to have any more clarity than anyone else there, but it, it's bound to impact both how we work and function in, in organizations, as you're pointing out, and also how we sort of view ourselves and view our work and view our community, right, as an individual, right? 
Um, you know, there's been speculation about will we ever return to shaking hands? Right? Um, <laughs> or in Hawaii, uh, hugging and kissing the way that we all do. Exactly right. So, um, I, and that's that's a good question. I really I don't have any more idea than anyone else do, does, but yeah, it'll be an adjustment either way. And for a lot of us, that just won't feel right, especially if you grow up in a very, you know, effusive family that's very demonstrative in that sort of way. It's mm-hmm. very strange. I've had people come toward me to, to give me a hug or a kiss and realize, oh, I, I can't and back up whether they're masked or not and, we, and keeping the distance between us always. But I'm wondering mm-hmm. about if we do have that kind of distance, you know, and the, and the anxiety that people feel over that distance, what mm-hmm. might that do to us? emotionally i know we can't really talk a lot about that now because it's it's pretty much speculative but i'm just kind of looking at that and noting that when when people are talking on the street and other friends are are just trying to say over the fence are you doing okay all that kind of thing but that we look at as being now but uh, but looking at how we might go back or not go back to that Mm -hmm. very physically oriented way of greeting people or expressing our feelings for them aside from between, you know, lovers or parent and child. Sure. Well, one of the, um, one of the things that I I sort of wish that the zeitgeist had gotten differently is if we could refer to it as physical distancing instead of social distancing. Yes. Right. Because it is a physicality that we have to distance and we definitely, definitely need the social connection more than ever. Right. So, you know, I, I sort of suspect when this is over, eventually, eventually there'll be a vaccine, eventually, eventually, right? And so I think there'll be circles, right? We have circles now. We're, we're all housed with certain people, right? And those people within our circle, right? And, and we generally can hug and touch them, right? Um, and it's the people outside our circle that we kind of maintain this physical distance from. Um, and, and so I think there'll be some sort of modulation of that. Right. It's like, how close do you have to be? How well do you have to know somebody before you air kiss them? Right. Um, I, I don't know what that would be. That would be very interesting to see how that, how that unwinds. So with all the things that we've talked about, Martin, and the sense of, of loss and grief that many people are feeling, the, the big what if scenarios that we've just been talking about, what would you advise people to do? Are there some simple exercises that you're doing with your patients, even, you know, through telepsychiatry that's making it a little easier for them in the moment that they can carry with them through the day when they're not looking at you through a screen? Right. Well, just a a technical thing. I'm a psychologist, and so I do telepsychology. Psychiatrists are also available through telehealth and are prescribing. And so, you know, I want to remind everyone that uh, psychologists, psychiatrists, medical doctors, and health providers of kind of all stripes um, are available through telehealth. Um, but I, yeah, I'm in fact a psychologist and do therapy. But one of the sorry things about that. I, I do, I knew that, and, I, and I'm sorry. That's I okay. Say telehealth. That's okay, right? I just thought it's one of those things I have to I go back to. Um, one of the things is I have two questions, right, that I like people to ask, right, when they're, especially if they're feeling overwhelmed or chaotic or they're, they're feeling like their life is spinning a little bit. And these two questions will often return us to sort of some clarity and some confidence. The first question is, is it mine or is it not mine? Whatever I'm confronting, is this mine to be upset about? Right? Is this mine? Do I control this? Or is it not mine? Right? 
And if it's not mine, then we can be empathic for other people's feelings and other people's challenges. But I don't have to own that, right? And one of the things that causes anxiety, yeah, right. I can engage with it as much or as little as I choose to, or as much as little as I'm prepared for in this moment, right? I can say, I love you, I'm sorry you're suffering, and I'm going to call you back. You know, I can take a break. It's okay, right? But mine or not mine, because when we take responsibility for what's not ours, it drives our anxiety through the roof, right? Absolutely. So mine or not mine is the first question. And the second question I like people to ask is, oddly, what's the upside? Is this good or is this bad? And if it is bad, that's just a judgment I'm making about my world, right? What's bad about it? What's good about it? Where's the upside, right? Can you give me an example for that? Because I think for a lot of people, the good, bad thing, obviously, is very subjective. But is there something that you can give as an example that might illustrate the good, bad that you're talking about? Sure. So I'm not saying deny what's disturbing. I'll give you a personal example. I have a son, and he is a senior in high school. And one thing that's bad is he's not going to get to do his second semester as a senior in high school, and he should, and it's very sad, and I am very sad and upset about this. At the same time, right, he's home. I get more time with him than I would have ever gotten. He's still on his computer and he's with his friends, but, you know, I'm the guy outside the door, right? So there is some upside to this, right? He will appreciate when this clears being back into, you know, social circles, right, in a way that he didn't appreciate before, right? So I'm not denying that it's sad. I'm not denying the loss. I, you know, I have to grieve that and accept that, right? And, of course, he has. It's more his loss than mine, right? Mine, not mine. As a parent, it's somewhat mine. But in some ways, it's not, right? So by looking at what's mine and what's not mine, I can focus on what is mine. Mm. And what's the upside? The upside is I have time with them. So how am I going to maximize that? What am I going to do with that? When I focus on what's mine and what's good, I can now focus my effort and my thought in maximizing that, right? Instead of just sitting and in, in, in being sad about all the things my son's not getting, he doesn't get the prom, he doesn't get the, right, I can go on, right? And tear my hair out and, and share my anxiety with my son, who doesn't need it, right? Instead, I can focus on well, what's mine. Mine is to be a parent. Mine is to, you know, support him and model for him. And the upside is I have time with him. So how am I going to make take advantage of that, right? What am I going to do good with that? Can you put this in the context of also some financial anxiety? Because, you know, for the tens of thousands of people, friends, neighbors, family members who have lost their jobs, been put on furlough, don't know what to do. Yes, there are, are some, you know, helps coming, as they say. But really, when you're sitting at home and you don't know whether you have it or not, and you might not be able to pay your mortgage or pay the rent because you don't know what money may or may not be coming in, or half your income just got sliced because for a couple of somebody just got furloughed and now you're having to live on one income or no income and go back to your savings. That kind of financial anxiety is, is very different from any other, and a lot of people are mm-hmm. suffering right now, and I mean truly suffering. Yeah. How do you help them through, through that kind of anxiety to move to some sort of clarity about it Mm -hmm. well it is largely about sort of acceptance right it is about this is scary right i'm scared 
Um, this is a loss, right? I'm sad. I may be angry. That's not fair. Um, Maybe angry if I apply for the loan and they say three days and it's two weeks and it's not here yet, right? Um, there's going to be lots of these, you know, upsetting uh, things that happen, right? And a lot of fear and uncertainty. Um, at the same time, we need to sort of take little breaks from it. We need to look for what we're grateful for. If we still have a roof over our head, then let's be grateful for that. If we don't have a roof over our head, Let's be grateful that we're, you know, in a warm place and let's go find some support and some help, right? Um, if we're having trouble paying the bills, let's reach out to the creditors and ask for forbearance, right? Some of the local banks, by the way, are just, um, you know, talk about frontline staff, essential people. Um, uh, some of those people are sending out emails at midnight, right, as the small businesses apply for their loans, and right? So, Let's keep the people in the in the banks and in our thoughts as well, right? They're they're, they're pretty stressed. Um, but yes, it's it's real, and I'm not trying to paint rainbows on it. Um, I'm not trying to uh, make it all seem uh, rosy when it's not. Um, but in terms of coping with it, right? Let's face face the dilemma squarely. You know, what money do we have? What bills do we have to prioritize? How much do we have for food and shelter, right? Um, and then, you know, let's sort of make do with that what we can and ask for help where we can ask for help. Um, and then let's, you know, find ways to be grateful who we'll be with, right? Let me run this by you because, as you know, uh, my uncle was a psychologist and had lots of psychological folk around me growing up. And, and one of the things I heard about fear is that to the best of your ability, you need to make friends with it, that you need to be able to look it squarely in the eye for what mm -hmm. it is and to acknowledge the fear and then to be able to move through it. You know, we've got old expression about feel the fear and do it anyway. And I right. think a lot of people are being called to do it anyway now mm -hmm. because right. we still have to make dinner. We still have to uh, you know, mm -hmm. be with our kids and, and shelter them in some sort of way, I mean, emotionally shelter, and be able to practice kindness and, and, and as you say, gratitude. And, and watching some of these folks who are being so ex just exceedingly kind to other people and just situations that I know of where, where the family itself is having problems and yet it's reaching out to other people and that sense, as they say in AA, of, you know, what have you done for somebody else today? Get off the pity potty. Go do for somebody else. But there's nothing mm -hmm. like that. And so that's sort of what I run through every single day when all of a sudden my heart is beating so quickly in my chest. And I'm concerned for various people in my family who may be in hot spots, being concerned about finances, being concerned about the health and well-being uh, of those that I, I care for that it it helps a little bit to be able to run through some of that and to just feel the fear and know I'm I'm going to do this stuff anyway. Sure. And and you know of course your uncle's right. It's um sometimes if we're trying to avoid the fear then it's just chasing us around in our heads, right? But if we stop and go okay, I'm afraid, what am I afraid of? And then the next question is why am I afraid of that? Right. I'm afraid I won't be able to pay all my bills this month. And why am I afraid of that? Well, because it will hurt my credit score. Um, because, you know, I guess eventually I could be evicted and I'd be homeless. That'd be pretty scary. Right. But once we get to the why are we afraid, we can sort of 
often look at it more realistically. Okay, well, I'm not being evicted this month. And if it does ding my credit score, it's the great pandemic of 2020, everybody's going to have a ding in their credit score. Um, so the world will have to adapt to that, right? Um, so that's one thing. It's like facing it helps sort of manage it. As I know we're, our time is running a little bit short, but I want to make sure that we have time to talk about what it is that you wish you were seeing in the community or what would be on your wish list for how the community might be looking at COVID-19 in a little bit different situation than perhaps it is now or the way in which it's couching it now. Well, you know, it's a great opportunity to connect. And I, I'm recommending to people that they make two lists of friends, friends and family. One is the list that you're going to be in pretty regular contact with anyway and make sure you stay in contact with them, your close friends and family. The other is a list of people you've maybe fallen out of touch with for a while. Maybe they moved to the mainland or somewhere else on the planet or, or maybe just life got busy and whatever you had in common, you don't have in common as much anymore. And once a day or once every day or two, reach out to one of those people. You know, let's build those bridges. Right? We need social connection more than ever, and we have the technology, for the most part, uh, most of us, to make that happen right? and put that on our schedule. When you um, say reach out to them, because you know, for a lot of people, reaching out might mean they're posting on Facebook. But I'm gathering yeah. that you mean something far more personal than that, to where you're really having some interaction between two people, you and someone that maybe has you know, fallen out of your circle lately because they've moved someplace else or just someone you want to check on regularly. But, but you're talking about real sort of deep interpersonal connection, not just necessarily shooting something out on Facebook or taking a picture on Instagram or, or, or moving through social media. Psychologists love the answer D all of the above. So depending <laughs> on generation and, um, and the form of friendship, um, I'm okay with all of it, but you know, for people sort of, or my generation, right, it's a phone call, right? Um, my, my teenage son rarely makes phone calls, right? Um, but he Zooms and he, he, you know, he's constantly connected to people, right? So whatever that format is that's meaningful to you, right, um, just reach out and, and make sure you're tagging in with other people. Um, I, I think there's the opportunity for us to be more connected and more supportive, right? The other thing I'll just mention, um, that people might need to know is right now, most of the major insurance carriers in Hawaii have waived all the co-pays on uh, psychotherapy for telehealth for the duration of this thing. So in some senses, it's easier than ever, right? Um, so you make an appointment. Most people are taking appointments online. Um, you do it from your phone or your tablet, from your you know living room, or some people... I have lots of people, I'm doing a lot of car therapy. I want a mug of coffee with Jerry Seinfeld and therapists in cars getting coffee. Um, mm. because, because their car is a private, uh, contained space for them to do their therapy in, right? And their house may be small and have lots of people in it, right? Um, but, but it is an easy time, uh, no co-pays, and you don't have to drive anywhere, right? For those people who want the support of a therapist. And for all of us, it's a good time when most of us have time on our hands and have technology literally in our hands to connect with friends and family all over the world. Um, and I guess if that was my wish, it would be that, for the, we use this time to make more connection. I'd also like to make a plug for writing letters. I tell you, I've got mm -hmm. the most wonderful gift that came in the mail from a friend who sat down 
honestly, she wrote me a 12 page letter and then inserted pictures. And it was the most amazing thing. I mean, you thought that, that I would have found gold in my post box. And yet it was this incredible letter in, in her handwriting. Not that I don't love talking to her on the phone or Zooming or, or all of those things, but to have a friend from afar who actually wrote me a letter and inserted pictures was an amazing thing. So if someone has time and wants to do something like that, boy, I can tell you as the, the one who received that, it was just an amazing, an amazing thing to find in my mail. Absolutely. Yeah, I know you made the pitch for people to find psychotherapy over telehealth. Is there anything else that you think that would be important for us to talk about as people are trying to walk that path from anxiety to clarity? You know, one thing we haven't mentioned yet is laughter, right? When we are stressed, the body creates a hormone called cortisol, the stress hormone out of the adrenal glands. And, and usually the way humans get rid of cortisol is through exercise because stress used to mean we had to fight or we had to flee, right? And that doesn't mean that anymore. But the other thing we can do is we can generate a good hormone um, uh, called endorphins, right? And that's generated in the brain. Um, and, and there's several ways we get endorphins. Um, uh, one is extreme pain, but we don't really want to go there, right? Um, the other is exercise, but it takes a lot of exercise, and I think it's closely related to that extreme pain scenario, right? Um, one is sex, and Dr. Johnson's definition of good sex is any sex we have, and three days later we think back and go, that was fun, we ought to do that again, as opposed to three days later we go, oh, I can't believe we did that stuff. Whoa, okay. So, sometimes that's available, and that's Thank great. you for releasing a couple of endorphins with me. I appreciate that. <laughs> right, okay. And then the fourth way, so people don't misinterpret what's going on here, is laughter. Right. Laughter is quick and easy and almost always appropriate. Don't be afraid to laugh in the pandemic, right? Um, and I see that a lot online. People are putting up a lot of memes and a lot of, uh, a lot of jokes. Um, and I think it is important to be ready to laugh, to play, right? Um, because that does create endorphins. It does lighten, lighten our mood and those around us. It releases the stress, right? So it's, it's, it's a good thing to well, keep I'm, it I'm, ready. A, I'm a fan. Um, you know, my husband is a big fan of, of laughter and, and jokes. And so I, I'm feeling very blessed in that way with all the voices that come out of his, his brain. And I'm, I'm deeply grateful for that. But even for someone who is living alone, though, to find a way to find laughter would be so, I think, so important. And that's tougher when you're on your own sometimes to find things to laugh at. It is. It's good to reach out and connect to others, old friends and new. And if we're going to binge watch something, let's watch reruns of Friends or Seinfeld or something that's pretty funny, um, uh, as opposed to the horror movie, right? It's like we don't, we don't need a whole lot of more cortisol in the moment. So, I mean, that that's strange, though, because I'm hearing that films about outbreaks and viruses and horrible things are trending and i'm wondering if people are looking for some sort of you know rubric look this happened there maybe this could happen here in trying to figure that out in their brains and and where maybe laughter would be so much more beneficial yet people seem to be drawn to this other form of entertainment well you know i think we're drawn to what's congruent with our internal state right if, if I'm in a bad, grumpy mood, then, you know, I, I look around at the world and I see a lot of grumpy people, right? 
If I'm in a great mood, I look around the world and I see smiling people. It's the same world, right? So, so we do have this sort of fascination to sort of find the confirmation of our feelings, right? So we'll gravitate towards, I noticed there's a, I haven't seen it yet, um, but on Netflix, there's something called pandemic that's, that's really high on the, on the trend right now. Sure. Um, cause there it is, right? Um, uh, but so if you want to engage in that, I don't think there's necessarily any harm, but let's also add in something that lifts our spirit, right? Um, something that we can chuckle about. Before we close, what would be some final thoughts on, on walking that path from anxiety to clarity? What is it that you want to have people walk away with, with all the things that we've talked about? If you had to sure. bring it down to one thing, what do you want them to walk away with? We are living through what will later be the grand pandemic of 2020. And what we do in our bizarre lives is going to be the stories we tell others, right? And so let's take some control over that, right? Where we can, right? And let's make a good story. How did we help someone? How did we laugh? How did we amuse ourselves? Um, we learned the ukulele, which we had always meant to do and never did until we had all that time during the pandemic. Or I worked very hard at my job because I was an essential, essential worker, right? But let's sort of own that we are creating a chapter of our lives. It's a very important chapter of our lives. And how we do it is up to us, right? And let's gain support from each other and let's make a good story. We're really, at this point, the co-creators of our, our shared history in ways that perhaps we've never been before. And, and I think that's a really good thought in which to end. Thank you so much, Martin, for taking time to, to have this conversation. And Thank I hope you. that we will have others as well. And for those of you who have watched this with us, if you have questions, please send them to me. My address is bakozlovich at gmail.com. That's B-A-K-O-Z-L-O-V-I-C-H at gmail.com. And we're going to run those through Mental Health America of Hawaii and get answers for you. So don't be afraid to reach out or send me a funny or just let us know that you enjoyed this and we will plan to do more conversations of this type. So thank you so much. Everybody be well.